Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LifeSphere podcast, where we aim to have conversations with individuals across the industries and verticals that serve and support the life sciences ecosystem. And today, I am very honored to have as my guest, Melissa Singer-Weiss, Principal at Stevenson Search Partners. Melissa, so great to have you here today. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. As a principal of the Stevenson Search Partners, Melissa utilizes her nearly 15 years of life sciences experience to advise organizations on attracting top executives for their most critical leadership roles across science, development, and business. Melissa's clients span Stevenson's broad base, ranging from pre-series A ventures to commercial stage life science companies across multiple functional areas, including C-level executives and non-executive board members. In her early year as a Deloitte management consultant, Melissa was grounded in the core strategic, operational, and, ta- and talent challenges across every function in a life sciences organization. When not playing talent matchmaker, Melissa can be found trying to keep a titleist in the fairway, hiding cauliflower in Giada's best recipes, or fairly slowly finishing triathlons so she can celebrate with oysters, chocolate cake, and bubbles. It sounds awesome. <laughs> so in the spring of 2020, Uh, Stevenson Search quickly mobilized to partner with the COVID vaccine maker to build out their clinical and commercial teams preparing for vaccine testing, approval, and launch. And they were able to quickly leverage their network and capabilities to rapidly identify and recruit key executives across clinical development, pharmacovigilance, and commercialization with contributions enabling fast tracking of the vaccine program. And that opportunity to play a role in, in recruiting 15 plus senior leaders who were able to mitigate the pandemic was extremely impactful. So maybe we can start just talking about what does make your organization stand out over others in the industry? Thanks. So, you know, I think the example you just provided at the end of your introduction is is really a shining example of how Stevenson Search partners with our clients. And I think our differentiating factor or one of the most salient ones is that we truly are partners in building companies. And that's the way that we think of ourselves. And that expands beyond our relationship with our clients, which of course involves not just advising on the kind of hire we're trying to make, but really on how to build their company successfully to enable their business goals. But it also applies to the work that we do with the candidates we're then sourcing for our clients. We hear all the time that our compatriots, if you will, or our competitors right. will pressure them into making hires. And that's really you know, antithetical to our approach. We really believe in relationships first. We believe that those relationships aren't just about today's conversation. They're about you know, next week and next month and next year. And I think that enables us to rapidly do the work that we do to give people advice over the span of their career that relates not just to the conversation we're having in that moment or the opportunity we're discussing that day. It's probably not my smartest thing I do, but I can't tell you that how many times I find myself actually discouraging a candidate to pursue (laughs) the role we're discussing because I just don't think it's the right fit on both sides. And I think those kinds of conversations actually provide or or pay dividends to us Mm -hmm. um, as we partner with, you know, individuals across the ecosystem. Yeah. And I think that stuff is really meaningful and critical when you think about 
the work that the life sciences industry is trying to accomplish. So, I mean, in today's world, the landscape of life sciences is just rapidly evolving with new advances in technology, therapies, et cetera. So what are you seeing from your clients and how they're embracing this convergence of science and technology and skills and, and those kinds of things? It's topic that is more important than ever. You know, many of our clients are working on the integration of artificial intelligence into selecting the right targets in drug development, quite a bit of thinking around what digital innovation looks like in the commercial landscape. And also, you know, we see quite a bit of this infused in manufacturing, other areas of data science. I think there's a couple of important components when you think about this convergence. I think, first of all, this is still an evolving area. And like many areas of the life sciences industry and the biotech sector, there's still an immense supply and demand challenge when it comes to experienced talent in the space. And so I think, you know, companies are needing to take um, a little bit more risk on talent in these areas. They're needing to think about you know, skill adjacencies where they can rely on, you know, skills that are related to or touching the skills they may need. And then I think also how they think about their organizations as a puzzle. When we partner with mm -hmm. our clients, especially mm -hmm. the earlier the company or the organization, the better. It really is about how the people will complement one another. If there's a really strong business executive who's missing a critical component, say hardcore deal making, but brings a strategy skill set, or if there's a very experienced clinical developer that doesn't have depth in a very particular therapeutic area, you know, how do you complement people both across functions as well as maybe one level above or one level below to fit the puzzle pieces together to, in totality, get the set of skills you're looking for? You know, the one other thing I'd say on this topic you know, someone once shared the analogy with me that our clients are looking for a cow that can lay eggs, you know, grow wool, <laughs> grow wool, provide milk and and even bacon. Right. And all from one one animal or one candidate. And, you know, while we also joke internally that like all of our searches are hard because they, people don't call us for the easy ones. They don't, you know, they don't invest in a retained right. firm right. when they're looking to do something that they can do easily themselves. I think, you know, there is a piece of this that comes down to taking companies on the journey of how they fit those puzzle pieces together, how the must-haves and nice-haves in a given candidate may evolve as they start to get to know folks with different skill sets, as mm. they start to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So I think this topic of convergence, it's about seeing how different skill sets fit together. It's about understanding where you can play off other individuals in the company, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I love I love the puzzle because, you know, they're complex. They don't all have the same size. They are not the same shapes. Um, and I do think that when you talk about that bigger picture, it, it really is what makes it more strategic. And I think as an organization, when you're trying to figure out where are we going, um, how do we get there? What are the right seats? What are the right people? Are they in the right seats? All those conversations. 
I'm curious, you know, not every company is at the same stage and not every company is the same size. So even as a company maybe goes along its journey, I wonder if you can talk about what does it, what do you focus on maybe when you're trying to attract talent and you're at different phases? Like, is it by role or function? You know, does that change? I'm sure it does. In your phase, if you haven't commercialized a product yet, you may not necessarily be looking for operations folks at this point in time. So just I'm just wondering, what are your what are your thoughts on that one? I think first and foremost, depending on the stage of the company, there tends to be maybe a little bit more what I'd call wiggle room. Right. So if you think about a very early stage, you know, discovery stage company, every person you hire is probably the only person or one of a very few set of people with that skill set in your company. And so, you know, the hires become in some ways so much more important or Mm -hmm. um, targeted. I think at each inflection point, whether we're talking about going from discovery to development, development to commercial, other milestones in the evolution of a life sciences company, you know, there are other factors that play a role. And that becomes important, again, as you think about building a new set of capabilities in the organization. You know, I think, though, beyond thinking from that perspective, the thing that that tends to be most important, and of course, we work with very senior leaders, right, board, C-suite, heads of function, you know, the leadership, the intangible becomes Mm -hmm. maybe more important than anything else. The communication skills, your ability to have a followership. Do people Mm. follow you from company to company? Are you going to be able to be a talent magnet for others in the industry? Does your reputation Mm -hmm. precede you? I mean, those are the things that perhaps become most important almost at every stage in a company. You know, so I think those are a lot of the things that we think about as we look at both attracting and assessing talent at various stages. It it also leads to this question of, you know, how do how should people think about their career moves and how do right, they right. how do, how should you judge whether you should join a company and and those kinds of things. And, you know, the advice I, I always give people as they're charting their path or evaluating opportunities is think very carefully about who you associate yourself with. This industry is very small. Many people know each other, have many points of interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. Before I stepped into executive search seven or so years ago, I didn't have the perspective on how much, you know, checking up on people or confidential referencing really goes on. And I think it's everything in this small community. And so it it just becomes that much more important. Um, I think we can all learn from our mistakes and there can always be that one experience that didn't go well, whether it was an interpersonal dynamic or a situation that was bigger than the person themselves. But I think, Mm. um, you know, both doing your diligence on a company and the people in a company you're joining and being careful about that, I think is so important. You know, the other piece of advice I, I give people is 
just really understand the dynamics in the company. How do yeah. the board members interact with each other? How do they interact with the executive team? What's the, re- you know, the, not the relationship, the reputation, sorry, of the yeah. of the executive team and how they treat the rest of the employees. I'm not just talking about free pizza on Wednesday or what have you, but how are new ideas encouraged? How is diversity of thought accepted? How do people learn from their mistakes? Those kinds of things. So many different things there. I mean, so there's a lot of talk today from a strategic perspective that including diversity of thought, uh, diversity of background and diversity in general as part of, as I was just saying, the the strategy actually of organizations to create innovative solutions that bring products to the marketplace. You know, creatively think about what does the market even look like? You know, maybe we thought the market was this, but wow, we can open it up to something quite different. So I wonder, and I, and I, um, there's probably no right or wrong answer here, and it's probably an evolving sort of, of, of landscape, if you will, but how do you kind of approach integration of technology, science, and then this, this idea of, of diverse and diverse Candidates, diverse thinking, diverse populations, all of this is sort of like a whole new batch, a whole new mixture. So how do you how do you how do you approach that when you're when you're thinking about talent and and the acquisition of talent and what that talent really contributes to the organization? Because it, it is why people search for talent rather than just sort of hiring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of components of that. You know, as we talked about before, this concept of sort of skill adjacency and where can you give people a chance because you have the support in the, and the experience in other parts of an organization. I think certainly that brings diverse perspectives. You know, maybe you're a straight line biotech, but you bring someone in with more of a retail background or, a, you know, retail meaning sort of like healthcare retail, not like right, Bloomingdale's. Right, right. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, maybe it opens up a way of thinking to your point that you didn't think about before. Um, I think considerable initiatives that are going on in every facet of the industry around diversity and inclusion are obviously important and impactful. I know that, you know, probably, I don't know, six or so years ago, we started, you know, really making it an important call out in our own metrics, in the way we articulate our information to our clients. And our clients started asking us for it more. And that created a shift just even from the mindfulness of, you know, thinking about how you infuse. I mean, I can tell you that seven years ago, the thought probably didn't cross my mind on whether or not I had a, a, a status report full of men. And today, I I just wouldn't dare go to a meeting like that. And I think mm-hmm. that matters, right? I think, what is it that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? And so if we don't have diversity and different aspects of diversity infused, whether it's step up candidates who aren't been there, done that, but are going to have to stretch into the role, whether it's gender or ethnicity or what have you, whether it's 
you know, whether it's someone from other sectors, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of different components of diversity and helping our clients to think about that, being mindful of that. I very much in the work that I do, I believe in testing the the limits, like everything that we do is sort of on a scale of, you know, how discovery versus development oriented or how this or how that. And so, you know, I'm always pushing at the margins to see where the places are that we can flex, that we can be creative. And I think everyone being open minded and mindful on those topics is the the best way to start. Right. And then from yeah. there, it's really yeah. about the context, the other puzzle pieces, et cetera. Right. How can you incorporate technology and artificial intelligence if you're not going to think that that's diverse thinking? Right. Because it wasn't part of the industry before. But now we're inviting it in. And I think that's what's awesome about this whole kind of topic, because diversity of thought is really what we're looking for. And that's where we get that to come to the table and join the conversation. So I, I feel like it's just an awesome path that they're heading down. The thing I think that a lot of people wonder as we look forward, you know, into where are we going as an industry and, you know, there's so much opportunity, so many things are happening, but I think there's challenges, you know, that they're still working on in the space. So I'm wondering, you know, what do, what are, with the challenges, I guess, that are kind of urgent, necessary to be addressed, there are struggles in the life sciences. As people, I'm going to kind of combine a couple of thoughts into one here. When folks are looking at their own career path, you know, these people are people with great mission. They have like such big vision about possibilities and things. What are they, how do you think they're approaching their career paths? Like, what is it that that you maybe talk to them about in in transition? You talked about maybe you're from biotech and now you're going to enter into gene and cell therapy or something like that. So there there's that's that's a big question, but there's just a lot. I just wonder like how are how is everyone kind of managing this? Yeah, I always encourage people to lean into their strengths and what they like to do. Isolate the opportunity. Isolate what it looks like on your resume. You know, what what's going to make you excited to get out of bed in the morning beyond this goal of helping patients, creating value for the company? But like, what are the, you know, sometimes the joke I use, and I, I was talking to a very senior, successful CEO in the industry a couple of days ago, and we were talking about like, you know, I could I could be happy cleaning toilets if like someone told me I did a good job and like I I right. I I thought it was like meaningful somewhere, right? And so like what's that for you? Like what is that yeah. thing that's going to really drive you and and really propel your success because I think, you know, that that is so important. I think beyond that, you know, one of the trends that I've seen over the past few years and and really I think is so important is you know, whereas in 2020, there really was this colossal war for talent, the supply yeah. and demand of talent that was experienced and had seen the movie before. It just the equation was really imbalanced. And, you know, if we look at today with the pullback in the sector, we've seen a little bit of a, you know, of a regression from that. I think it's gotten a little bit better. 
I would still argue that people who have seen the movie before, really been through the ups and downs, have both successes and failures to look back on, you know, Mm -hmm. there's still a limited supply of that at the senior most levels. Mm -hmm. And some of what I talk to a lot of executives about is, I think part of the reason, frankly, we're in the situation we're in when you think about the biotech sector right now is because we promoted a lot of people too quickly who didn't mm-hmm. have the experience, who didn't weren't used to having to make the tough decisions early and often. And so there wasn't always the discipline and rigor around those things. And yeah. there didn't need to be because there was so much money. There was so much, you know, whether it was inflated titles, inflated salaries, et cetera. And so yeah. as I talk to people now, I'm both advising on this, but I can't tell you how much more frequently I'm hearing this from C-suite executives or one step below, half a step below the C-suite where people are saying, for the first time in many years, I'd like to do this one more time with a really experienced person I could learn from. And in 2020, that wasn't the case. Everyone could get the next job. Everyone was jumping to the, the sexier company, the bigger title, more money. And it's it's a really nice thing to see that people are stopping to reflect on that. But it's also advice that I'm very actively giving because I think yeah. the moment is right for that. Like, why would you put yourself in a situation where you're coming into a huge amount of pressure, whether it's raising money, doing a deal, accelerating a timeline of drug discovery, drug development, because the money is tighter than it was, you know? Yeah. So it's just really nice to see people having that perspective. And it's it's something that I think is so important as people think about their careers in this in this environment, in, you know, in in the way that the innovation is happening, et cetera. Yeah, it's it's exciting. And at the same time, there's maybe a little bit more. uh what do we want? We don't want to say logic, but a little less craze, maybe we'll just say like it yeah. seems a little bit more calm and, and and thoughtful. Let's just put it that way. I would say just, um, you know, the landscape of the labor market is obviously shifting. I think next year, the majority, if not all of the, the baby boomers will be up close to retirement, if not already there. And the millennial category will be predominantly the workforce. And, you know, then we've got this several different, um, you know, age groups coming forward, some of them with wholly different uh, learning skills and paths. And and with this changing landscape of the, the labor market, and as we look to kind of where will they get their skills? What will their world look like as they move up into these kind of C-suites? I think it's exciting. I think they bring again here, we have this sort of going back to this reflection on diversity of thought and those kinds of things. But I wonder, are today's executives and senior level folks, how are they approaching that? What are they looking at? Are they are they seeing that as an opportunity and, and kind of rethinking the way they might structure that path or kind of remaining the same. I, I'm not sure. I just I, I hear from a lot of the folks that are, you know, millennials aren't 10 anymore, right? They're they're in their 40s, some of them. <laughs> yeah. So that'd be the traditional workforce if we were to call it anything else. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting question. I mean, I think the the workforce dynamics, not just that, but I mean, you know, one of the most interesting dynamics we see from a talent market perspective is the shift that COVID had on mm 
work from home. I joke with people all the time that that my clients, you know, they want people in the office four days or five days a week. And candidates tell me all the time why I'm wrong and why they can work completely remotely. And so I have these two sides of the equation. Yeah. One that believes it should be entirely one way. And one that, mm. and I, I joke because, of course, there are lots of people who believe in some some version of both of that. But we do bump yep. into this a lot, you know, where people have really kind of rigid ideals on either side of that and are really mm. not able or willing to flex. And I think yeah. it's definitely one of the very interesting dynamics and levers that a company can pull to attract good talent um, yeah. if they are willing to think creatively you know does everyone have to be in the office the same three days does it have to be three days a week or could it be five days one week and none the next the more that a company is able to wiggle a little bit I do think it helps that said I am a firm believer that you know there is real value especially when you're talking early wet lab days in whiteboarding and what have you so you know that's one of the dynamics obviously that's important. I think the other one that, you know, I I referenced it before, but just these concepts of good communication and and leadership skills. I mean, I think, you know, as we promote people quickly, as people, you know, rocket through their career, have they had good mentorship? Do they, you know, one of the biggest questions that comes up, especially when we're hiring someone who may be higher on the potential than the performance scale is, do they know what they don't know? Do they have humility around the things they haven't done? Like I've I've done CEO searches where you're talking about fundraising for a company that's still private and you talk to candidates and they're like, I know the investors and they talk in their interview to private investors about public markets investors. And you're like, well, Yes, that's good for the future. And we don't want to just hire for what we're looking for today. We want to hire for what we need in the future, certainly. But there's also an element of like, you know, your audience, be willing to acknowledge that you don't know something, but you know how to get it or you have the network and the resources and the mentorship to get it. So I think, you know, those are important components, but I don't think anyone's cracked the code on how each element of the workforce is different, can work better together. I have seen you know, to that point, a really interesting rise in sort of programming seminars, you know, what have you on how to think about that creatively. Um, mm-hmm. I think some of the tried and true things, though, are are not going to change. And there's just probably tweaks around some of the margins on some of these things. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's such it, it's one of those questions that kind of comes up here and there. But I, I love the way that you were kind of describing it, I, I agree. You, It's really hard to manufacture something from home, right? You have to have people here, you know, doing some of that that good work. Um, well, I do want to say that, um, you know, where we started the conversation and where we ended as, as it is always, uh, it, it never takes the straight path. Um, so I just wonder, given everything that you're working on and and just how exciting it is to be kind of what it sounds like your role is in charge of and everything that you're working with. If you were going to do anything else that wasn't this, um, and I'll I'll just share with you a couple of <laughs> some funny stuff that I've heard from some folks. So I had one person who said they took up sailing and another person would be, um, would have their own wine vineyard. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Um, someone else said that they would, um, they 
we're interested in maybe opening up a restaurant of some sort, kind of making a sandwich shop, like those kinds of things. And not everyone has something. In fact, some people um, find that their work isn't work. It's actually what they would do all the time because it's that it's that important and they enjoy it that much. So just wondering if you weren't doing this, what what if anything there might be that you would do differently? Yeah, I know you like to run marathons and some <laughs> other things and that kind of stuff. I love my triathlon hobby, but I'm, I certainly wouldn't do that full time. I'm not very good at it. Um, I do have another full time job, which is wrangling, to, you know, two under under four. So that's oh my boy. my other full full time job. But, um, you know, I um I I'm kind of lame from this perspective in that, like, I, I kind of believe I was born to do this job. You know, I started my career, as you said earlier, as a management consultant. It was very focused in life sciences. And I, I'm actually the product of two physicians. So basically from birth, dinner table conversation was about this sector. Yeah. Um, but and, and you know, I went to business school. I got an MBA. I did my summer in commercial strategy. So sometimes I joke with people that, you know, the, the alternative career path. And I, and I get a little jealous sometimes when I do a business <laughs> development or a commercial search. I'm like, oh, that... That would have been fun. But, you know, most people fall into executive search. I, I really came here on purpose. Like I, I, you know, the the joke I always say is that everyone has their cocktail party conversation. Some people's is sports or movies or politics. And mine is people's careers. I love mm. talking to people about that. And so to combine that with this passion and interest in the strategy of life sciences companies, the idea of bringing life-changing medicines to patients, and how do we advise companies in a really strategic and holistic way on how to do that? I, like I said, I I just really I I kind of think I was born to do it, and I I love it, and I would I wouldn't really trade it for the world. Isn't that funny? It's so like you said, it is really strategy because how do you bring a hundred different pieces of a puzzle together? It requires an awful lot of thinking and a lot of kind of strategic. Uh, and it's not all done at the same time. Uh, so, uh, you know, like I said, it's and that's part of this industry, I think. Right. There's a lot yeah. of people who don't think of it as work. It's really a calling kind of yeah. like, as you said. And I think I think that's such, just such a great uh, way of kind of phrasing that out. You know? Yeah, I mean, the the uh, the other thing I'd add is, right, I mean, at the end of the day, our job is to get to know and understand people on both sides of the equation. And I have to say that just creates endless entertainment value yeah. right i mean right. there are right. the stories we could tell <laughs> on, from every direction i mean from offer discussions with a candidate's significant other to make sure they understand and are bought into it to you know trying to understand how to move someone's pet or you know getting to know the ins and outs of our clients our candidates you know the the sort of gossip i mean all of it it's um it's 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 really quite fun so maybe there is a book in your future <laughs> If only I could get my almost four-year-old to write it for me. There you go, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. So I just wanted to say, what a great conversation today, uh, Melissa. I mean, definitely going to probably have to continue this one in the future because there's so much content we actually didn't get to cover. Um, <laughs> but really want to thank you so much again today, my guest, Melissa Singer Weiss on the Life Sphere podcast. Thanks everyone and have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much.
Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of LifeSphere, where we talk with leaders in the life science industry about what inspires them and how we all can work together because the patient is waiting. Please find us on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we look forward to joining you on the next episode.